0: What is up, everybody? And welcome to the All NBA podcast, part of the All City Podcast Network. We have a great one lined up for you today because we need to talk about my Denver Nuggets. I always get excited to hear what Legler has to say about Jokic and my Nuggets. So we're going to get into that. Also, Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. I always like just to kind of give you behind the scenes we'll be texting each other talking about what are we going to talk about today legler wanted trey young i have like some negative things to say but i'm curious Some usually when there's something to say it's like a positive thing so i'm kind of curious if if we're going to have a difference of opinion here or if we're on the same page we're also going to talk about kobe white the chicago bulls and then later on i'm very excited for this conversation about intimidation in the nba among pro athletes but also just about maybe performative attempts at intimidation and and Mamba mentality and some of this stuff that I'm very excited to get to. Um, so before we get started, Legler, uh, that was my intro. I'm curious to hear what you had to say about it. Um, but how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm doing
1: great. I'm, I'm really in- interested and anxious to get into the Trey Young discussion. I raised the topic with you after watching the game last night, and it, it's not the first time it kind of struck a chord with me. And, and last night, not the greatest example because he got ejected from the game.
0: Um, right. But
1: in, in general, just in looking at a guy like Trey Young and, and his profile in the league, I mean, he's a very high profile player. He is super entertaining. He puts up monster numbers. What does it all mean, though, ultimately? Yeah. And that's what I want to get into. Like, what is Trey Young? Um yeah. And what does he mean to your franchise, the way that he is, the way that he plays, the numbers he puts out? Like, what does it all do for you? And, and does it move the needle for the Hawks? And that's kind of where I want to go with that. So uh, it, it, it stood out to me last night in watching him that I thought it was time. We, get, we haven't talked much about the Hawks, if at all. And it's a good time
0: to do it. And then more specifically, get into Trey Young's impact on the franchise and in this league. Perfect. I'm looking forward to it. So we are on the same page, thank God, because I was going to feel like a fish out of water here if we were going to be praising Trey on that no. show. No, you're not. You're, you're, you're very much a fish in the water, Adam. You're in the water. <laughs> there, there you go. uh Before we get into all that, we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. So check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALL AllNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. So last night, the Nuggets go into Atlanta. They were on a little bit of a three game skid. The Nuggets were. Uh, some weird games from them as well, Jokic shooting like Allen Iverson. Um, but they go into Atlanta on the road, a place they have not had much success in their franchise history, and they get a win, 129-122. to 122. And this was a game legs where Denver – it was a blowout win that felt closer because of a late-game collapse. But Denver controlled this game for most of it. What did you see?
1: Wild game, really. I mean, you're right. Denver was in control. The score belies really the, the extent to which Denver controlled this game. They got a little sloppy with the ball. Hawks made a ton of threes and, and, and shots late in the game. Actually, most of it after Trey Young had already been ejected. Yep. Uh, Bogdanovich has a career night. Uh, you guys didn't really have Nuggets didn't really have an answer for Bogdanovich. Who just and look, we talked about it earlier. Remember, we did the, the best shooting strokes, the prettiest strokes in the NBA. He easily could have yeah. been on that list. That thing is machine like. And and when he gets it, when he gets it going, you know, I, I was I always say has little splash. Like he's one of those guys when he gets hot. That thing is going, and it's it's hitting just inside the rim, right along the back of the rim, and it's straight down. And Like, the, the net doesn't yeah. move. And he had a number of those, man, that were just, like, absolutely precise, kept him in it, made a run. Ultimately, Denver pretty much controlled the thing. But the thing that stood out to me, I think it was most interesting, was you you alluded to it. The two games prior, Jokic was just getting them up, right? And, look, there's a lot of nights when he has big scoring nights and he takes a lot of shots, but he's usually so efficient. When he does it, you don't notice – that he's shooting a lot. So it was rare to have back-to-back really poor shooting games. It took almost 60 shots from the field in those two games and then comes out last night and it was almost, I'll ask you, you watch him every single night. You've been watching him for years. Was it a intentional premeditated decision that he was not going to shoot very much? Because even, even the broadcasters were talking about it during the game. I certainly noticed it. Uh, and, and he was like, had an approach that he yeah. premeditated. It felt like before he got out on the court and usually just, yeah, he just reads the situation and does what he has to. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think, first of all, to your point, we're coming, it's a very unprecedented week for Nikola Jokic because of how much he shot two games in a row. It's very rare that he shoots that much ever, let alone two games in a row. And when he does, he doesn't usually miss like he did. So he was coming in off of that. What I would say is I don't know that it was premeditated. I think Yoke I honestly take him at face value when he says he just reads whatever the game dictates. And in the previous matchups, I think a lot of it was he liked his matchup against the Zubats. He was going at him. He just wasn't making anything. And I think it, it, it frustrated him. There's one trait that you should know about legs with Jokic. And I think, you know, I've asked him about this very thing. Serbians have a belief in this, this idea called enat. it is a, inner spitefulness that all serbians believe they have they carry like you know in them which is this idea of if you tell somebody they can't do something it makes them want to do it significantly more and i think this has fueled jokic as an athlete because people told me second round pick you can't do this or that and it fuels him to prove you otherwise but it has a negative polar to it and that is that i think jokic sometimes when he misses shots that he should make then he starts to shoot more of them as if this like, no, like he'll miss a three. He's wide open. He'll come down and jack another three because he's like, I missed the last one. I, I know I could make this. And sometimes it'll compound. I think the last few games have been that from Jokic. He's gotten so frustrated from missing shots he usually makes that he started taking tons of shots to try to like, you know, to get out of this funk or whatever. Last night, look, the Nuggets played really well. Julian Strother played great. Jamal Murray played great. And I think Jokic just read the game and was like, I don't need to be too aggressive tonight. I'm going to let these other guys kind of handle it. And I think he was right in that assessment.
1: Oh, okay. That's fair. And I, I'll, I'll tell you what, your description of that, what was the word you used? You said a Serbian word? What was the word? Inat. E- e- Inat. E- Inat. E- Inat. E- you know what that sounded like? The more that you tell someone not to do it, the more they want to. That's exactly what my two-year-old is doing right now. Like my <laughs> yes. Everything you tell him not to yep. do, he wants to do it even more with a little sly look yep. on his face. I'm like, you really, yeah, you know, you, I'm going to, I'm going to give it one more shot. So that's an interesting concept. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. Look, it, it's, we're not, criticizing him or nitpicking a guy that goes 9 for 13 and has, what, 25, 8, and 9. I mean, you know, every player in this league would kill for a stat line like that. That efficient, almost a triple-double, 25 points, win the game. Uh, they played great, like you said. They they were really – I mean, they were, they were a machine offensively for long stretches in this game, particularly for the first 18 minutes of the thir- of the second half. Um, They they got great looks because they moved it. Everybody that got a great look knocked it down. Jamal Murray looked fantastic. Strother uh, gave them big minutes in production off the bench. He's had moments like this earlier this year. I think that was his career high last night, I believe, though. Um, And then Aaron Gordon with 18 and 12 on a 7 for 10 night. You can't get more guys play that well, like that efficiently. Reggie Jackson played pretty well. So very solid across-the-board performance. And it led me into the next question for you about your nuggets, um, nobody better to ask. Uh, on a scale of one to 100, 100 being they, the way that they played to finish off the year a year ago as a championship caliber team and, and dispatching the last two rounds, particularly um, in the conference finals and finals, that being 100, let's say, what percentage are they operating at right now, would you say? Because, you know, Jamal Murray missed a chunk of time. He's come back you know he's, he's been a little bit up and down he, you know he, he played really well last night looking at and they have new rotational guys some guys are getting minutes more minutes than they did a year before he did lose a couple of yeah. people just looking at the totality of the picture here a little over the quarter point of the season for a defending champion if 100 was the way they finished the year what percentage would you say are they at right now in terms of, of operating on all cylinders
0: well well the thing about that question is when you say now do you mean like in this very week or if i made the aggregate of the entire season and and why i say that is they start the season i think 9 and 1 or 8 and 1 let me say 8 and 1 they start the season 8 and 1 and i would have told you 90% much to my surprise they come out of the gate and they look like the best team in basketball by a lot in a tier of their own Murray pulls a hamstring and ends up missing the next month. He comes back and rolls his left ankle in the first minute that he returned, has to miss more time, and then even last night rolled his right ankle. So he's dealing with three injuries so far. And since that first nine-game stretch where they looked like 90% of the playoff version of themselves, which is about as good as you can hope for in a regular season, since then it's been about a 40% or 50%, meaning since that point, Murray goes out, your rotation, which was already a little bit thin, you're bumping rookies basically into the rotation, and they've just been really, really inconsistent. So for me, the Nuggets season, and I don't think a lot of people know this from the outside looking in, I don't think the Nuggets care about the regular season. I don't think they're gunning for the number one seed or number two seed. I don't think they care. I think they feel confident in what they can do, and they look at Peyton Watson, Julian Strother, two rookies, They need one of those guys to be a playoff rotation player. And I think they know that November, December, you're probably not going to look like a title contender if you're playing those guys 15, 20 minutes apiece. And that's basically been the case the last month. So I'm not necessarily concerned about the fact that the Nuggets are somewhere around 50% right now of what they need to be because I think it was baked into their approach this year.
1: I think that's a – and I think there's a trap in trying to – and I don't know that you're necessarily saying like gunning for the number one seeds the right way. Because I don't know the teams do it, but to keep your foot right. on the accelerator is what we're talking about, right? Night in, night right. out. And and then you you organically end up with that number one seed. I don't know that it necessarily does you favors um, to do that, particularly when you've already won it. I think right. they they have to have to have a different approach now, having won a championship. Um, and that is basically make sure guys are preserved and healthy when you start your next playoff run. And that's what i think they're going to do and find out i think a big part of the regular season for them is going to be finding out who differentiates themselves that mike malone can absolutely trust by the time you start the playoffs and i think you're talking about some of those i think battles for minutes and battles for responsibility that are going on with their team and you can see it and strother was the guy last night another night it'll be watson some nights christian brown's going to get a majority of those minutes if it's him on a given night so They've got a number of options to go to, more buttons, I think, for Mike Malone to push. Ultimately, it's going to come down to that starting five. And the fact yeah. that they've got such core continuity um, and they're just they're just winners, you know, the way that they yeah. play together, it's very difficult to stop and defend, and they've got the best player in the league. But I was curious to get your perspective on that, you know, seeing all the ups and downs from day one this year. Um, when I, usually when I ask a question about a team, like and give like that kind of a question. Like, give me your percentage right now. How? What I what I'm really saying is over the last week to ten days. That's typically oh. about the stretch of time I'm talking about. Not okay. necessarily like last night, because you went by last night. You're like, well, man, they're ready yeah, to go. Yeah, really. They're prime. They're prime for another run because they looked that good offensively last night. It's more about like okay, as things are taking shape, understanding that there's going to be ebbs and flows with injuries and some guys, you know, maybe in a shooting slump, whatever it may be. So it's really over the last three, four games is typically how I kind of look at these things. Um, And certainly, if anybody didn't watch the game last night, you you missed a really sharp, impressive performance by the Denver Nuggets that really, you know, never had a reason to be. uh, What what was as close as the Hawks got there in the the last five minutes? Four? Three. I think it was three. I think oh, it became one possession okay. at a point. So. Like, yeah. Never should have been that close. Yeah. The Nuggets contributed to that with some bad turnovers and then some crazy shot-making out of Bogdanovich. But, uh look, yeah. impre- impressive performance by Denver. N- n- not surprising.
0: So Murray rolled his right ankle last night. We'll see how he stayed in the game, and he ended up playing great. 12 of 15 shooting. We'll see how that injury affects him. If it doesn't, if this was a minor rolled ankle and he can come back, then I would say the stretch between now and the Christmas Day game, I expect to see the Nuggets get back to the team they were at the start of the year, back to the team they were you know, closer to the playoffs. So I hope that this upcoming stretch reveals what the Nuggets are. But the truth is, how many teams have lost their second best player for the amount of time Denver has? And I just think that their season so far is defined by that. Nonetheless, they are 15-9 and, and and still look like one of the best teams in the NBA, even without Murray for a majority of the year. Um, if we go, I, I wanted to ask you real quick, because last time we talked Nuggets, you were impressed with Julian Strother. And last night yeah. he had his best game of his career. I have to imagine he continued to impress you.
1: Yeah, he does, because he, he's he got, and I, you know, I, I talked with, I don't know when that game was he had earlier in the year, if you, you could probably recall it better than I could, when he had this stretch, this flurry of scoring right. kind of opened my eyes. And what stood out to me was at that point he hadn't had a lot of playing time and he was forced into the lineup that night or mike malone chose to go to him and he ended up getting ex-
0: hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price
1: line Extended minutes because he immediately started treating you know the each possession as if it, he was the show. And that doesn't mean that like the guy was taking forced crazy shots. He, he Everything he got was makeable that night. I was just so impressed with how confident he was, how versatile he was as a scorer because he could put it down to, to the rim. He can shoot from deep off the catch. He can shoot off the dribble. Uh, he runs the floor. He, he's just got excellent instincts as a scorer and a yeah. tremendous amount of confidence. And to be honest with you, to that point in the season, it was very early, but I didn't know really much about him at all and if he was going to be able to really have an impact in the NBA. And so I've been keeping one eye on him you know, the whole year. And then last night I knew I wanted to watch that game uh, from yeah. start to finish. And of course, here you go. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm having that impact on him when I watch. He's uh he's going off because I'm incredibly impressed, and I'm sure I'm sure you must be, and I the coaching staff because he does it so easily. He was eight for sixteen last night. He had sixteen shots in twenty eight minutes. I don't know that they were forced. He gets right. where he needs to go. Six eleven from the three point line. So The majority of them were threes, but he has a knack for finding openings. And look, he's also on a team, by the way, that has guys that create a lot of attention and are give it up at the right time because that's what denver does right they they have murray they have Jokic, they have guys that that put a lot of pressure on you defensively with the intent of understanding if there's too much traffic the ball's going to move to the guy it's supposed to and i think strother is really benefiting from that and yeah so yes to answer your question i was very impressed with him last night
0: so tell me this he got 16 shots off and none of them were forced that's hard to do and I looked this up he had 11 three-pointers attempts last night I think he was six for 11. Michael Porter in his career I think has eight games where he's attempted three uh, 11 three-pointers that shows you so to me contrasting those two players Strother it's not a coincidence that he got 11 threes up you have to be smart at reading the court to find opening the ball finding you 11 times for three-pointers that's a skill I mean, and that's the part to me that I'm kind of curious about what you think about him as, you know, the ability to get open 11 times for three.
1: Yeah, he's 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 a natural raw scorer. And what a luxury to have a weapon like that, because and I don't know, ultimately, we're too early to tell. Will that translate into playoff minutes? I mean, we've seen guys right. early you know, year one, year two that that's show growth. And on given nights, man, they look like, OK, wow, they've arrived now. And then at some point, because they're so young, they'll hit a rough patch. Coaches will reduce their minutes. They lose a little bit of confidence. And and it's like this constant ebb and flow of rebuilding a guy's, you know, self-esteem. And you want it peaking at the right time. So I don't know what it's going to mean for the postseason. But I think if, if it's a, certainly a luxury to have a guy that's not always getting heavy minutes for you. That's sitting on your bench that has this kind of scoring ability. There aren't a lot of guys in the league that can put up the kind of, you know, clean looking shots where he gets open to the extent he does. And that kind of confidence as a scorer, he puts up numbers when you do give him extended minutes. It's really fun to watch. And it's like I said, it's just like the rich get richer because, right. you know, who knows if you're even gonna need them in your rotation yeah. in the postseason, potentially to, to repeat as champions, but Man, oh man, what an intriguing prospect you have, uh, you know, wearing a Nuggets uniform that on a
0: given night could just absolutely light it up. You get forty-eight minutes between Strother and Peyton Watson, two two rookies, and that's that's just so big. Again, for Denver, they're trying to do the two timelines thing. They're trying to develop these guys while also competing, and you know, mixed results so far. But it's impressive that they can get forty-eight minutes from the players that young and win on the road against another playoff team. Let's go to that other side, though. Um, the Atlanta Hawks are 9-13. and 13. They're not a good team. And watching them last night, it was a very unimpressive you know, sort of night. They, they are a little shorthanded right now, a little banged up. But Trey Young, 5 of 12. He has 9 assists, 19 points. He's a team worse minus 10 in large part because the team went on the big run, kind of a false run, but a run nonetheless in the fourth quarter. So why did he pop on your radar after this specific game? For, I mean, not, well, not on your radar, but you want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, because, cause, look,
1: I, I was watching him. And because of the nature of his game, right, and, and he's got he's got this you know skill set with of unbelievable range. He's got an array of floaters and runners because he's a smaller guard, so he has to know how to get those shots off. He also a lot of nights is double digit assist guy. Uh, he's got yeah. some flair to his passing. He's no like He's he's basically non-existent on the defensive end of the floor. He doesn't really have any impact whatsoever on that end. And look, there are guys that have made a a living in this league and made a name for themselves and made it to the Hall of Fame without having an impact on the defensive end of the floor. Okay, so it's not like he's a a, a one-off in that regard. His role is to dominate you offensively. But in watching him and looking at the team overall, and they went out and they got DeJounte Murray last year and it looked like you you got a pairing of two all-star guards and DeJounte Murray... You're thinking, hey, he can take a lot of the defensive pressure off of Trey Young because he is an outstanding defender. And now you can put Trey Young on the weaker of the two guards, right? Usually a spot up guy. And now Trey Young can relax, relax, and rest, let DeJounte Murray do the dirty work against opposing point guards. It seemed like a pretty good pairing. Ultimately, though, you look at this team, they're not really relevant. They're not relevant. And 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 look, I know they went to the conference finals, you know, yeah. a couple years ago, a few years ago. They beat the Philadelphia 76ers. In that series in which Ben Simmons had the epic meltdown um, and that led to Ben Simmons no longer playing in Philadelphia. was that series, particularly the way it ended in a game seven and, and passing up a shot at the rim, you know, because he had lost all confidence. He had five fourth quarters in which he did not attempt a field goal as your starting point guard in a seven game series, like unheard of type stuff. So Atlanta gets past this team that clearly was frail and fragile and Ben Simmons was psychologically fried and and you get past them and you think like oh okay the hawks man trey young this is what this is what this guy does like he took a team to the conference finals and it's it's like now you look at them and you look at the lack of progression and i just i guess it made me think like what do you have if trey young's your best player adam how many teams historically have had their lead guard be a smaller type guard lead you in shot attempts and scoring and and, and really make a deep run. I mean, how many teams can you think of? And I'm talking about guys that are like under 6'2", right? How many, how many teams can you think of if that player, because at that size, they're not going to be an efficient scorer. They're taking a lot of shots to get their numbers. They're not going to have a big impact defensively. And so ultimately, where can they take you? I mean, I guess you would go I- Iverson. Right, smaller guard, took a team to the finals, was an MVP in his league. Here's the thing though. First of all, I'm I'm bringing up one team, right? One team more than 20 years ago. But even on that team, Adam, the makeup around him and the league was different, so he could build teams like this. Think about it, all defenders, alley fights, Mm -hmm. hard hats, guys that would go get the ball off the glass after he missed, dribble back out and hand it to him again. Here, shoot it again. I'm going to screen dive. I'm going to guard people. The Eric Snows of the world, the Kemi Matumbos, the Aaron McKees was your only real supplemental offense, right? This is the way this team was built around this one guy to go shoot as much as you want as a smaller guard. Even if you shoot 40%, it's okay. Our defense will keep us in the game. That's not this team. So what exactly do you have in the Atlanta Hawks with Trey Young as your best player? And what does that mean for this franchise going forward? curious to get your thoughts overall on Trey Young as a player
0: and ultimately where can a guy like that lead you well well first of all you know I've never really been a Trey Young guy so this to me them making the conference finals sometimes is a blessing and a curse right because you see that happen and by the way he was incredible in that playoff run oh, he was big and so there is something too when a player's young and they go that far you go well for all of his flaws and all of his warts, this is a formula that works. When the truth might be, maybe it just worked that time, but it's not necessarily a recipe for future success. He reminds me, you're going to hate this comp, but he kind of reminds me of Damian Lillard in this one way. In today's NBA, there players get funneled into two paths. One is the superstar path, which is, okay, he can score and he can pass, and they're best when we put everyone around you. And then the other guys are, maybe you could do some things, but since you can't do everything, we got to force you into a more limited role. That's where he finds himself is he's, his mold is he can pass, he can score, he can have the ball in his hands at all times. And so we'll force him into that path. But like Damian Lillard, he's terrible on defense, so you're going to have to cover for him. And unlike Damian Lillard, he can't be that efficient. I mean, Damian, he's a better passer, but a way worse score in terms of efficiency. So to me, I've always been skeptical even of building around Damian Lillard. He's got Giannis, which obviously is his best-case scenario. But I've always been skeptical just because I think that there is a limit, a low ceiling to win a player like Dame is your best player. And Trey is below that. So I just view him through that lens, and he's spectacular. I mean, Trey Young is an incredible passer, but it just doesn't add up, in my opinion, to a winning formula. And I think – so to me, I'm – perfectly in line with all of your thoughts but i do think you don't have to go back 20 years to the mold i think you could see players like a damian lillard they're just they we it's not we haven't seen it be successful and he hasn't trey hasn't reached well, that no,
1: level. that's what i mean like when i asked the question like i'm talking about guys that actually okay this is the, the your franchise player and he comes in a small package and he shoots a lot that's what i'm talking right. about like and, and really has you on the precipice of contending or winning something, I think you do have to go back to Iverson. There have been smaller guards that have had, you know, big scoring years. And, you know, you even when you look at like what Isaiah Thomas was doing before he got hurt yeah. in Boston, right, and, and what led up to it when he got there, he may, maybe that would have been the case. But, again, look what he was surrounded by. Like he was surrounded by a team that was really good defensively, could really compete. And his career, unfortunately, was completely altered by that hip injury, and he was never the same guy. But so you can bring, you can find examples of smaller guys that can get their shot and score and all that. But you're, when you have Trey Young, like he's in his sixth year, he's had one year in his career over forty three percent from the field, and he's never shot forty percent uh, from the three point line. He's thirty five right. this year, and he's taking you know what twenty shots a game. So you know this is the <laughs> a guy taking shot twenty shot. shots. That's by the way, he's also taking eight and a half free. He's taking um nine free throws a game. So that's, that's another more shooting
0: attempts. Yeah, that's
1: another X amount of shot attempts, right? Some of those are on the floor. I get it, but probably on the floor hunting a shot, right? Or he's fouled in a shooting motion, so it's twenty actual field goal attempts. It's probably another four or five. He's trying to get up when he gets fouled, and you add all that up, and it's at it's at a forty three percent clip. It's at a thirty five percent three point clip. And so I, I, I guess that's why it just struck me because I'm like, I don't know you can go anywhere with this and look clearly nine to 13. They're not going anywhere with what they have. And yet he is such a high profile player in this league. And yeah. you know, if they're, if they're 500 or better, he's making the all-star team almost every year. And and that's, yeah. what's crazy to me because of, because of the numbers Look, I'm not trying to just dump on Trey young. He's obviously a uber talented player, man. I know how hard it is to do these kinds of things at the NBA level. Like what he's doing is remarkable. I certainly couldn't do those things. I'm not ripping on him as a player. I just thought it hit me because I'm going. You got Jokic on the one side. Who's who's one of these high profile players? And look, I don't know what how many players in the league would you say are are you know is Trey Young included with? Is he top ten, top fifteen? And just in terms of like high profile.
0: Yeah, I think he's fallen just because of the lack of success a little bit later and there was a point in time when he was top 10 people were talking about him that way i think he's fallen because of team success which is how it should happen i will say another player you compared him to the old isaiah thomas i'll compare him to the new isaiah thomas you know in 2017 that season where he averaged almost 30 a night um it did he was an mvp candidate and that team went to the conference finals were they a yeah. real threat to win the title? No. They had a magical run, and you could look at it and say, man, look how great he's playing, and the team's doing well. But it's it almost feels like it's this false you know, success because there's such a odd, clear and obvious cap to it. And I think that's – I mean, to me, that's kind of where Trey Young is. I don't know where you go from this, by the way, because we're about to talk about the Chicago Bulls, who have almost the exact same record as the Atlanta Hawks. And the consensus amongst NBA fans is the Chicago Bulls need to tear it down, blow it up. You don't really hear that about the Atlanta Hawks. Like they need to tear it down, blow it up, but they're in the same boat. They have the same, more or less the same record.
1: Totally. And I think one of the reasons I think is, you know, one thing Atlanta is always going to have to consider, Trey Young is a guy that puts people in the stands. Like because of the entertainment factor, I don't think you feel that way about the the Zach Levines and DeMar DeRozas and Nick Vuceviches of the world, right? I, I, I don't think you feel quite the same way about them and that's why for that group it's a little bit different um and also think maybe just the importance to the franchise and to the market uh it feels a little bit more important there maybe even than atlanta where you, you know, you're getting a good show every night but it's 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 and trey yeah, young is, is, is box office in that way uh so i don't know that it's something you'd even consider but unfortunately i just don't see this formula um working i think you'd have to have a different team around him and maybe you'd have a chance at, at yeah. like you know making it really interesting if he's getting 30 34 a night right and you've got these guys around him that guard and set screens and rebound and play tough and a couple of shooters that's not what this feels like at all so as yeah. a result i think it's an entertainment factor and it's a, you're going to fill up the box score and it's not going to result in a lot of winning.
0: All right. Last one. And I'm putting you on the spot for this, but you compared him to Allen Iverson, you know, 2001, they go to the finals, all defenders around him. Is that team even also a bit of a misleading team? Again, if you look at Iverson in Philadelphia, they made it out of the first round a lot. They made it to the second round, but they weren't very competitive when they made it out. A lot of this was they won the first round against bad teams. They get to the second round and get smacked by good ones. And then one year, broke through through the finals one game one but they were never really a threat to win the title that year either is even though they went to the finals is it kind of a same situation where that's formula might not even that formula might not have actually been successful it just felt successful artificially
1: yeah yes that's a good point but again you know and i don't have i don't have this in front of me because i didn't know that was coming but i don't know how many years how many years you're talking about did philly get to the second round
0: like I don't four. know how I'm many it, right now. it was 4 years. Yeah, it was almost 4 in a row. 99, 2000, 2001, 2003.
1: All right, that's I mean to me even that and then one of those years they go to the finals, even that is significantly more than what you're going to see out of the Atlanta Hawks with Trey Young. And, and and again, a big reason is because these games now are shootouts. They weren't always shootouts right. in that era. Right. They weren't. Like you could win games where neither team got to 100. You're not seeing yeah. that in this NBA. Like these are shootouts, and when you when you're in a shootout with another team, and the guys that are taking the shots on your team are shooting at yeah. a, you know forty percent clip, you you got a problem on your hands because the math doesn't add up. So so I would think if it look if Atlanta was repeatedly getting to the second round, it, yeah. like the last you know five years with Trey Young, and every year they were running into a Boston, or they were running into a yeah. Cleveland, or they were running into a Milwaukee. And you just go God, you know they're just not as good as those teams but you know trey young man he gets those guys every year into those series and puts a scare in people that's not what we're talking about here i did kind of feel there was more of that with the iverson sixers era
0: there's in building in the nba is so tough because there is this concept of you've got to find your cornerstone piece and oftentimes you know you get a good draft and it's just clearly it's not that guy but that's almost better getting an anthony bennett that Waste a year of your time and you go, okay, this is clearly not our guy. We're not building around him. At least allows you to move on. Whereas when you get the guy who is just one rung below good enough to build around, you're almost stuck because you have to keep investing in them. And Detroit's a great example of this right now because they have Cade Cunningham, who's a really good player. Is he the guy that you just build everything around? I don't know. And that not knowing is so tough and it can waste years of a rebuild when you're just trying to commit to a guy who's maybe not up to snuff. Trey Young might be an example of that, where they had one great year, but they're committed to sort of building this team around him now for several years, and it hasn't really, uh, you know, gained momentum. All right, let's take a break. On the other end, though, let's get to the other game we want to talk about, the Chicago Bulls. lose Zach Levine, they almost get a fifth straight big win. They come up just short, but still an impressive performance. So we'll get to them. We'll also talk about Kobe White, who has been on a nice little heater, uh, including last night, had some very good plays. So we'll talk about him and just how high legs is on the Chicago Bulls team. First, I want to tell you, in the NBA, it can change in an instant. No matter how the action unfolds, you know DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on a basketball game. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code ALLNBA. New customers get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Please play responsibly. In, in Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See sportsbook.com slash sportsbook for details and state-pacific responsible gaming resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply, but bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms, in sportsbook, terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, let's get back into this now and talk about another game that happened last night. Chicago taking on the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee. They have been on a heater, winning four straight ever since Zach Levine exited the lineup. So they lose another another example of building around a guy here. They lose Zach Levine and they start getting some big wins, including it all started over Milwaukee, uh, beating Milwaukee in that thriller. Last night, it almost felt to me watching this game, it almost felt like the miracle was going to happen again. But they came up just short. They had their chances in overtime. Lots of shots at the rim, lots of great looks that they just cannot convert, and they end up falling 133 to 129. What stood out to you about this game?
1: Yeah, it it was was a really interesting game, and I think ultimately what Milwaukee had going for them to to get the win, they have Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bulls don't, if I want to sum it up. (laughs) okay, That's really (laughs) as succinct as I can be because they couldn't – Giannis got everywhere he needed to get to when it mattered. Right? he had yeah. every single time he needed to get down. He'll get to the rim, get something for himself, either as a finish or, or getting to the line. He did it, um, and and dude, they had a hard time guarding Chicago for stretches in this game. And it's been a little bit of a theme for the Bucks, yeah. right? They're not they're not the same defensive team that they were when they were getting a number one seed uh, like two years in a row in the East. Actually, overall number one seed in the NBA two years in a row when they failed in the playoffs. Uh, and even the team that won it, they're, they're not the same defensively as they were. And look, you swap out Drew Holiday for Damian Lillard. I guess that's part of the explanation, but I think there's more to it than that. It's it's the mentality of scoring so easily that yeah. you really you really don't focus as much defensively. I think there are some teams in the league that have fallen into this. Milwaukee is one of those teams because they have so much firepower. Any given night, uh, you know, an average night for them, they're getting to 120. A lot of nights they're going to be pushing 130 or more, and it's not difficult to get to those numbers because of Antetokounmpo and all the three-point shooting. Um, so I think that their their defense you know, wasn't really engaged enough with this team. Chicago, so Chicago sm- smelled it, and they said, you know what, if this is how it's going to be, then you, you know you're going to have your hands full with us tonight. You let us in it, and now here we are. And you let NBA players get confident. You, that's what you're going to have on your hands. And Milwaukee had a fight for this. And ultimately, I thought Giannis was the difference down the stretch, fourth quarter and overtime, just you know, inability to keep him from his spots, um, like yeah. most teams actually have a problem with in this league.
0: And I thought some a lot of that was on Vucevic. I mean, everybody knows Giannis loves to spin and get to his right. And I felt like in the fourth quarter of overtime, Giannis got spin moved to his right like eight times. And I kept thinking, Vuce, what are you doing? You keep going for the lefty fake and getting beat at the rim. Um weirdest shooting night ever from damian lillard three of 17 horrible shooting night one of those three makes legs was a dunk (laughs) he told me take 17 shots and only makes three of them and one of them is a dunk through the lane in overtime um but he he really struggled in this one and this shows you sort of the margin of error for the milwaukee bucks when they don't guard anyone is him just him everybody else had great shooting nights him having a bad one, and the team is in a dogfight against the you know a uh, Chicago Bulls team that's not really good. Do you, I don't know if you have any notes on Damian Lillard's game or if it was just an offshoot yes, from him. I do, and it's now back to back games because I thought the first half
1: of the uh, game against Indiana in the semis, the first half of that game and of the in season tournament, he 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 was one of the worst halves. I think I said it on our show. I've right, ever seen yeah. Damian Miller play. He, right. he he was offensively a mess. He was turning the ball over. He was he, he was tripping over his own feet. Very strange. Yeah, he came out in, in the second half of that game and got really hot in the third quarter and turned it around because they were they right. were down and, and made it an interesting game. He found it. But now you follow that up with this game. Three for seventeen. You know, right. he hasn't had too many games in his career. Like that, shooting the ball like that. Um, so again, and look, he had started. He struggled when he first season first started, and I chalked it up to listen. People don't understand how difficult it is for a guy like this to make the adjustment for the first time in his life. He's not the best player on his own team, so there's a and and you're and you're wearing the uniform of that player now. So now right. there's, a, there's a deference that makes you think too much. Rather than just go play and be instinctive and be who I am and who I've been throughout my career, it's easy to say to do that. When Giannis Antetokounmpo cast that kind of shadow and you're joining that franchise and they're expected to win it all, and he's never been, he hasn't been in that situation in his career either, all of that added up to, to me, expected struggles. But then he snapped out of it, and he had a, he had a stretch of games where he started to be really efficient. He was putting up big scoring numbers, playing great in the fourth quarter. And now he's had you know, a couple games back to back where he wasn't really himself. Look, and it's a long season; you're going to have nights like that. But I, yeah, yeah, definitely um, was not a Damian Lillard night for sure. Every shot he took from deep in the second half hit the front of the rim and barely got there. So wow. I don't know if it was fatigue. I don't know what was causing that, but it was flat. And it was did not have normal trajectory, and it was barely getting to the rim. And they were all hitting the front. They were not – he wasn't giving the ball a chance at all to go in on his jump shot, and and they were doing a good job of not fouling him on his drives. Um, uh, So I thought overall, you know, his struggles allowed Chicago obviously to stay in this game.
0: It's it's weird when you just look at the box score. Everybody on Milwaukee's team shot 50% or better in this game except for two players. Chris Middleton was 5 of 11, so almost 50%, and then Dame was obviously 3 of 17. So you get – incredible shooting from your entire team and you win by four points in overtime to Chicago. Probably not a great sign. If we go to the other side though, I want to talk about bulls because I find them to be pretty interesting. Um, They almost got this one. You lose Zach Levine and it's almost like rejuvenated this team. It seems, you know, it's almost given them some life. And to me, this game, the bulls are playing simplified basketball right now. It's not particularly in my, in, in my opinion, compelling because in its complexity they try to get out and transition quickly if they have a mismatch they go for it and they have guys that can take advantage of mismatches if not they kind of just spread you out pick and roll or dribble drive and kick and just look for that and Kobe White and DeMar DeRozan are obviously the two guys that you're looking to to create most off of that and they've been up for the challenge 45 minutes from Kobe White 42 from DeMar DeRozan 41 points from DeRozan 33 from Kobe White I mean, I was impressed at least with Kobe. Why? I'm not a bit. I haven't been the biggest Kobe White guy, but I've been impressed with how in control and comfortable he's looked in this like elevated usage role.
1: Yeah, look. This is this is what he's capable of. This is when he when he's kind of giving the ball and, and, and able to go. He can do things like this. I mean, he can flat out score. He's very quick off ball screen, getting to his spots. He's got great range. And so he's a very confident scorer when you get when given the opportunity. His role is a lot different when Levine's out there and DeRozan's out there and Vucevic even the ball just funnels through those guys. And it's 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 just harder to find that rhythm if you're a scorer and your touches are a little bit more sporadic or spread out. That wasn't the case last night. It was his ball, his game, his show. And you could one thing I could see, and even Levine to his credit because he's he's over there in street clothes. And you know when you're in street clothes and the team's winning. And you're sitting there, right? Sometimes, man, it's not the greatest feeling in the world, right? Sure. But but everybody's reaction to Kobe White, everything he did positive, the reaction of the bench told me a lot about how they feel about him. Even Levine. You know, he was jumping up And, and like, they were celebrating on everything that that Kobe did in this game. And I thought that was telling to me. He's got the support of his team. So when he does get the opportunity and go out and do things like this. By the way, one of the oddest stat lines – in the history of the NBA, took place in this game. So oh, man. Levine's out. Dassun Moose starts in his spot. Yeah. I'm going to read you this now.
0: Oh, no. I'm just looking at it.
1: <laughs> I'm going to read you this. And you tell yeah. me, you tell me. Oh, um, no. How difficult this is to pull off. He played 26 minutes in this game. That's a lot of run. Yeah.
0: yeah. He's got a lot of stats, I'm sure.
1: He had, he had exactly zero field goals. Zero free throws, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, oh zero no. blocks, zero yeah. turnovers. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Committed one foul. So if you look <laughs> at his stat line, all the way across it, there's oh. only numbers in three cat columns: a six where he was zero for six from the field, a two where he was zero for two for the three, and then one in the foul category. And and here's the best part, Adam. He was a plus two in the game.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, I mean, so, hey, well,
1: anyway, well, he can defend. He can He can yeah. really defend. That's his primary role. But I sure. just, I don't know, it stood out to me. You know, when you're, when, you're, when you're going through these box scores the next day, you watch the game even, and, like, you don't realize what you're even watching sometimes. I just thought right. that was amazing. He, he basically didn't stat in 26 minutes, but was a plus two. Because because his defense contributes, so uh, that's that's that uh, goes Miller, to show yeah. what they're capable of doing.
0: Yeah, there there you go. That is a pretty wild stat line. um Another wild stat line, and this one was Andre Drummond with eleven offensive rebounds in fourteen minutes, which is another thing I think just kind of keep an eye on when you talk about Milwaukee. But eleven offensive rebounds—some of those were like you know tip, 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 three or four on one possession. Yeah, but he 11, was he was valuable. though
1: I was I was impressed with his energy and commitment to it. Like he's been one of the best rebounders per minute in NBA history. Andre Drummond. I mean, literally, historically, one of the greatest this league has ever seen in rebounds per minute played. Um, And 14 minutes um, goes out to get you 16 boards in 14 minutes, man. 11 on the offensive glass. So, ironically, he plays 14 minutes. He has 9 points, 16 rebounds, 11 offensive rebounds. He was a minus two in the game. So, so yeah. what do we know about plus-minus after those two stat lines? When one guy doesn't stat at all, it's a plus-two. One guy, one guy can't yeah. do more in 14 minutes, and he's a minus-two. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. And that's why, by the way, for the record, I'm not a fan of plus-minus. I am a fan of plus-minus in groups of five players. So yeah. a team yeah. knows what group of guys plays well together over, the, over a period of time. And again, it can't be a small sample size. You know, give me 20 games into the season. I want to know every single collection of five players that we have used this year. And I want to know what the plus minuses are Mm -hmm. of those groups of players. That tells you far more than anything from an individual plus minus because we use the number all the time. And I look, I know even me as a player, there were times, man, I went out, I did my thing. I shot right. the ball well, I defended, I didn't turn it over, and I got caught up in a bad shift, man, for whatever reason. We had guys yeah. turning the ball yeah. over, couldn't guard anybody. We get hit with a 12-0 run. My plus-minus sucks, and I did my thing. That's why it's more important to look at groups of five players. That's just my opinion.
0: So was plus-minus, because I all these stats feel like, you know, the last 15 years or so, they've really come into the zeitgeist, but you're saying back even 90s, early 2000s, you're looking at plus-minus? yeah
1: yeah yeah definitely it was it was always it was always something that kind of was in the air for sure you noticed it because it was there you know you're like okay that's just a big number at the end some nights you know in a good way or a bad way and i always hated it i'm like that you know that doesn't make sense you know even even on the night there were other nights look there's other nights i'd be out there let's say i'd play a 10-minute stretch you know and, and and look maybe a team was like really chest to chest with me they weren't leaving me so i, I couldn't get any looks so I didn't, you know get, didn't get any shots playing hard but you know what rebounds weren't coming my way so you know you leave the game after 10 minutes you didn't do a whole lot but you but the team played pretty well during that stretch and now all of a sudden what you're a plus eight and you didn't feel like you did a whole lot so I just don't understand the significance we've paid Mm -hmm. to the plus minus um particularly when it comes to role players I think it's more important actually with star players than it is role players because of what I just what I just mentioned Right. I think role players, you have to take that over an extended period of time and how yeah. they fit with certain groups of guys and what is yeah. that group able to do. And you go, hey, man, look, it's like night in, night out. When we go to this particular lineup, uh, they, they're they're accomplishing really good things or this isn't working at all. Like every night for 20 games we've gone to this lineup, they're getting outscored by X amount of points. So I, think, I just think it's a good telling indicator when you look at units, much more so right. than individuals.
0: The last one on the Bulls. Kobe White, because he's kind of like this. If you look at the Bulls, like, where are they going? What is going, you know, what direction are they are are they going? And we expect a Zach Levine trade. Are they going to go even deeper and try to get rid of DeRozan and maybe, a, um, you know, a Caruso? But if I, if we just talk about what do they have, Kobe White is the guy that's most interesting. What is his role? He's only 23. Feel, he's been in the league five years. Feels like he's way older than he is. He's only 23. What do you, how valuable is he as this sort of, you know, building block? And what is his role on a good team? What would you project forward is would be his role on a good team?
1: No question in my mind, he could be a combo guard on a really good team that's playing for something meaningful as your first guard off the bench, and he can play either role okay. because he can play him off the ball, and he can be a scorer. He can be right. a guy that that you know you give the ball to and can run point for you for an ex- for an extended period of time too, if you want to do that. Um, I, I there's no question in my mind. I think that the way this guy can fill it up and his instincts for scoring. I think Kobe White can be that player on a team that is playing for something
0: significant. There's no doubt in my mind. That's his ceiling. I think you're right about that. But Chicago's in a tough spot. I mean, I always think that to build in the NBA, the more you watch it, it's so hard to do in part because the order of operations has to be right. I'll use Denver as an example, legs, because I'm closest to them. Jokic was the first guy in what a lucky break they weren't looking for him to be the building block he just happened to be their first in shine if murray right. or michael porter was the first one in Jokic might have like come into the league and that with them pigeonholing his game around michael porter or around murray and of course that wouldn't have been as smart sometimes who your first guy is <laughs> matters a whole lot and i think with kobe white when you say because i agree with you i think he's a sixth man a really good one but he's sort of the first building block of whatever iteration they're about to enter. And you can't build around a sixth man. That's not how you build a roster. So to me, the order of operations matters a lot for how you construct the team. And a lot of that's just dumb luck.
1: Yeah. By the way, if Jokic hadn't been the first one in and they decided they were going to try to build something around somebody else and Jokic was on the team, that wouldn't have lasted very long. And they would have realized, you know, what? maybe
0: we should run things through this guy. Maybe, maybe not, though. I I do think that there is a, a lot of teams who have just sort of committed to one direction, and then it's hard to change. Even when it becomes more and more obvious, it's hard to change. You know, you think about you know, we've seen this with maybe the Oklahoma City Thunder is a good example of this. If you have Westbrook and you have Kevin Durant, you think, okay, well, that's our guys in. And I don't know where James Harden fits into that. There are examples where there's players and it's like, yeah, but we're already rowing in this direction and it's too much effort to shift. And we're not certain that it's smart to shift anyway. And then later on you realize actually we probably should have. I want to end today's show though, Legler, by doing a, a more evergreen topic. And that is you know, over su- on Sunday, 60 Minutes, I alluded to this yesterday, but there was a really interesting interview with what, who I perceive to be one of the most interesting athletes in sports, Novak Djokovic, arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. I encourage people to watch the whole interview because I thought he had a lot of great things to say, but I pulled this clip that I wanted to play uh, for you that Emma has queued up. Even though there's no physical contact in tennis, there's still a lot of eye contact when we are changing ends,
1: when we're sitting on the bench and then the big screen shows him how he drinks his water, and then I'm looking at him. How is he drinking water? Is he sweating more than usual? Is he breathing? You know, you're taking all you this in during you know, a match. Is he, exactly. Is he breathing deeply or not deeply? And then I look how he's communicating with his team. You know, you have all these different elements that are in play that uh, really uh, affect the performance in the game itself.
0: So I love this for a lot of different reasons. It's a little crazy, a little maniacal, but I asked you originally when I saw this and I sent it to you. I said, "Can you tell me who were the most intimidating players to ever come through?" Because people always talk about Michael Jordan. He was intimidating. He could intimidate you. You didn't necessarily love that that that, that, that ask. I didn't because I think and, and this
1: topic comes up a lot and people want to know. And you, you, know, you might be in a in a bar having a beer and some sports fan will ask you a question like that. Are you going? Sometimes when a on a basketball podcast or a show when you talk about this topic, and former players I think universally will agree, we don't really see ever guys like in a state of either fear or intimidation or like want no part of of a particular player. That's not really something that that professional athletes at the NBA feel. They just don't feel that. If you didn't make it, you don't make it to that level if you're capable of doing that. Now, you might have a heightened sense of a little bit maybe of nervousness, anxiety, like a little right. bit more tension in the room when you're getting ready to play a certain guy. And certainly that those guys obviously exist. Jordan was a great example of that and those teams in general playing those Chicago teams. Jordan, if that they was might the guy missing. that day, yeah. Shaq to me would probably be the very top of the list because Shaq was a guy that wasn't going to just go out there and get big numbers and his team might beat you that night. He could do things physically to you, particularly this opposing centers, that you might end up on some sort of blooper reel clip for the rest of your life because of what he did to you, right? Dunking on you, knocking you down, pulling the basket down at the same time. Like, you know, you end up now in one of these reels, right? So because right. he was just that overwhelming with raw power, there's not much you could do to stop that. And, and for a pro athlete to be like kind of phone around physically when you think you're a pretty strong guy, and now you realize that like, you're, you're nowhere near this level of strength and force and power. That that's a little bit unnerving. But again, I don't think it's ever been I ever saw it, even with Jordan, where and I had to guard him. That was my position. Like where guys were like, really, like you know what? I I I don't really want a part of this. I'm kind of scared about this matchup. Right. I, I think that's the wrong word to use, like intimidated or scared. I think that's I think that's the wrong way to take it with a pro athlete. Myself.
0: I, I can totally see that. But then it raised a new interesting question, which this clip is Djokovic talking about these maniacal ways in which he's studying his opponent, right? Right. And how does your opponent drink water is a hilarious thing to imagine a tennis player paying attention to. And maybe he's being a little, he's embellishing a little bit. I don't know. It's hard to say at that level, where are the margins? Um but this is a thing, right? And I and I think Kobe is the godfather of all of this, of creating this narrative of, "Hey, these are things that I'm I'm trying to get in my opponent's head. I'm speaking Slovenian to Lucas to so show him I'm studied. You know, I'm ready for you." And I kind of, you know, they're both per- to, to me they're both performative and silly, but yeah. also like a little bit real. So I'm kind of of well, two minds about it. All right.
1: So here's 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 how I feel about this topic. It's a great one. I think that clearly this is a level of excellence that we're talking about here with these particular two athletes, Kobe, Jok- Jokovic, like we can probably name a few more, right? So first and foremost, what separates them from everybody else is they they hate losing far more than they enjoy winning. Yeah. Like they they cannot fathom or stomach losing, finishing second, not being the best player on the court at the time. It eats them alive. It's what drives them. Okay. So that's that's how you get to that level. And obviously, the physical tools that come with it, the work ethic, all of that, that's that goes without saying. But what sets them apart to be to become who they are and, and the way that they're regarded is that. That is the characteristic. And not everybody hates losing to that extent. You would think all athletes feel that way. It's not not to that level. And and so you start there and then what they do is they manufacture some of these talking points about what sets them apart, right? And some of it's like, come on, man, like you don't really do that. Like, you know, and and Kobe be a great example of that kind of thing. And what they're trying to do is create and enhance the aura that's already around them. Like this is why I'm different than you. And it just continues to feed that narrative and hopefully Gets into the mind of their opponent, like hey, I'm not doing those things, man. Right. You know, wh- 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 why? Why? Sh- maybe I should be doing those things. It's all part of a narrative they're creating, and some of it is definitely manufactured. You know, uh, and and you know, for Jokovic to say that he's looking up at the big screen to see how his opponent's drinking water—that's going to give him some kind of an advantage—that sounds absurd to me. <laughs> but look, at the same time, he's the greatest player of all time. You know, who am I to doubt? <laughs> who a guy like said? that? Yeah. Right, yeah. who am I to doubt? I, I, you know, it's it's yeah. it's a it's a level of excellence that's hard to even fathom. So who am I to question it? But I, I just my opinion. I think I think what they're trying to do is 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 enhance the art that already exists around them. Like not only am I great physically, my tools are great, my competitiveness. Then there's this other component of stuff that I'm looking at and reading and processing that you never even considered. And I right. think it's all about getting an edge. And getting yeah. an advantage against whoever they're competing against, I really do. I love
0: I love this idea. I saw a joke one time that said, if I was an evil billionaire CEO, I would tell all my enemies I wake up at 3 a.m. just to throw them off, right? And that's what every CEO, every Silicon Valley CEO wakes up at 3 a.m., does an hour workout, journals for an hour, at least according to them. And maybe it is just the psychological warfare that you play to to make people think that. Dylan Brooks has a great new one. Have you seen his pregame routine where he, he'll he go and stand at half court and basically just stare at the tunnel and this, like, intimidation yeah. factor? And it's ridiculous, yeah. right? That doesn't do anything. <laughs> but, again, creating this aura of I'm locked in an hour before the game, I'm locked in. And it's just this aura you're creating. So I'm for it. I'll tell you what, Legs. Like, you're, you're skeptical of it. I'm for it, whether it works or not. I'm, this is the type of well it makes me think think,
1: you know look i i really took a lot of pride in 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 what i did to prepare whether you know just physical conditioning standpoint and then just my my game preparation and who i was playing and you know, trying to always make sure i was on top of what this player's strengths were and the team what they were trying to accomplish and making sure i had our game plan down pat right i was so prepared maybe i should have focused a little more time did you see that guy just turn his (laughs) wristband Let's really slowly. Like, what's he thinking about? Am I in his head? Like, you know, I don't know, man. Maybe there was something more there for me to grab at him. Now I'm disappointed. Right. I wish I could relive my career all over again.
0: There you go, man. Psychological warfare. You got to bring it out, man. Um, I like it. I, I like Mamba mentality as a concept, too. I just I, I like those types of things. Whether they work or not, they add to the aura for me personally. And ultimately, this is entertainment and I'm entertained by it. That does it today. Talked Nuggets, talked Bulls, uh, talked Hawks, and Trey Young. Got a lot of stuff uh, accomplished on the docket today. We are off tomorrow, but we're back on Thursday. So everybody enjoy the off day, and we'll see you guys here in a couple days. We all silly like the mayor.